If you will turn to the book of Revelation and to chapter 2, you will not read all that we read on Thursday, but you will remember that we read part of chapter 1, the Lord in the midst of those seven churches, the risen Lord in the midst of them. Chapter 2 and verse 7, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith to the churches. To him that overcometh, to him will I give to eat of the tree of life which is in the paradise of God. And then verse 11, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith to the churches. He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. Verse 17, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith to the churches. To him that overcometh, to him will I give of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone, and upon the stone a new name written, which no one knoweth, but he that receiveth it. And then verse 26 to 29, And he that overcometh, and he that keepeth my works unto the end, to him will I give authority over the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, as the vessels of the potter are broken to shivers, as I also have received of my Father, and I will give him the morning star. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith to the churches. And verse 5 of chapter 3, verse 5, and six, he that overcometh shall thus be arrayed in white garments, and I will in no wise blot his name out of the book of life, and I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith to the churches. And then verse 12 and 13, he that overcometh, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out thence no more. And I will write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God and mine own new name. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith to the churches. Verse 21 and 22. He that overcometh, I will give to him to sit down with me in my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith to the churches. I cannot go over um, what um, I said on a Thursday evening in seeking really to <clears throat> uh, say some final words about this whole matter of reigning with Christ or true kingship or uh, overcoming, whichever way you look at it, however you um, face this matter, one thing becomes abundantly clear. When the risen Christ, when the risen Lord speaks in the midst of those seven local churches, seven having been selected to indicate the complete church, whether it is viewed as some do in the whole of history, seven phases of church history, or whether it is just the whole church of God as found on earth in time in given localities. The fact remains that our Lord could have said so many, many vitally important things, but he ends up 
with this matter which must surely be so heavily on his heart. To him that overcomes, to him will I give. And he says it to each of the seven, it never varies. To each of the seven churches, the burden, as it were, on his heart is for those who will overcome in the midst of all the problems and difficulties, in some cases mixture and error, much else. He looks for those who by his grace, through his finished work, by his present position, by his power, by the anointing of the Holy Spirit, overcome and reign. That alone makes me realize just how important a matter this is. Not something to be dismissed as some crazy theory, some bee in the bonnet of some Christian cranks, or some who may be real saints, but somehow or other have got a little bit unbalanced. They've gone to extremes. It is interesting to me that this last book of the Bible which sums up everything in the Bible and which finally presents to us, as it were, the crystallization of all the revelation we have in the preceding 65 books. It is interesting that this book presents to us the matter of the overcomer right the way through until the last chapters when the Lord says he that overcometh I will shall inherit all these things I will be his God and he shall be my son not meaning at all that every born again believer is an overcomer although God would have every born again believer an overcomer. What then can it mean? Does it mean that those that don't overcome lose their salvation? I don't think so. What I believe it means here is that they shall be God's sons in the sense that they can administer the Father's will. They have come to a place of spiritual maturity, of spiritual capacity, of spiritual experience, where they can administer the will of the Father, where they can be responsible for the throne of God. They can be responsible in the government of God. It is a very important matter then. And on Thursday, I spoke about three spheres in which this whole matter of overcoming or kingship must be tested. It is related to three spheres. The first sphere I spoke about on Thursday was the matter of the individual. It is interesting that again and again in all these messages, unvarying, to him that overcometh, to him, as if the Lord wants to emphasize this by this double emphasis, to him that overcometh, to him, not to those that overcome, to those, but to him that overcometh, to him will I come. And we have to be very careful that we are not hiding in the mess. That we don't think somehow or other we can join a kind of overcoming company. (laughs) Oh dear, 
Mistakes have been made along that line of trying to sort out the overcomers from the rest. Yet in a little elite circle of those who are prepared to go right on with the Lord as far as they will, and somehow by joining them you'll, you'll, you'll do it. Not at all. The church isn't that. The church is one great builder's yard. Lots of mess. Lots of rubbish. And uh, our very overcoming is somehow or other related to the mess in the yard. Uh, if we sort of rush off to become some kind of hermit and leave the builder's yard, we'll not be in the building. It's as simple as that. It is related to our brothers and sisters and to the kind of material that they are. And uh, it's no good saying, well, they should be this and they should be that and they should be the other. The fact is, God is a realist. He starts with what he's got. And that's how you and I have to. But it is an individual matter. He that hath an ear, let him hear. He that hath an ear. It's seven times to each of the... He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, the Spirit is saying something to the churches. But it is an individual matter to begin with. And no one can come to the throne in some kind of mass training scheme, a kind of thing where we can just go through and turn out at the end almost willy-nilly. That is impossible. It has to be a personal matter. That's one sphere. And we dwelt upon that at some length on Thursday. And I trust to profit. And then the second sphere is this whole matter of the church of God. Because, dear child of God, if you're just a Sunday go-to-meeting Christian, you will not overcome. It's as simple as that. You cannot just think that in some way or other, as long as you've got your home in order or your business in order, that's all that matters. You can pick and choose what you do. It just doesn't work. This matter of overcoming is related to the building of the house of God. It's related to your brothers and sisters in Christ. It's related to your attitude towards them. It's related to your flowing with them. It's related to your harmony with them. It's related to the way that you do not become partakers of other men's sins. And yet at the same time, you remain in an absolutely right relationship with the rest of the family. It is not easy to do that. We all get hurt, and the church is the best place for us to get hurt in. We least expect to be hurt in the church. We least expect to be trampled upon in the church. We least expect to find a disappointment or disillusionment in the church. But it is just there that this whole matter of whether we are able to reign with Christ, whether we're able to really come to the throne, is put to the test. It is therefore a matter of the purpose of God and the phase of, of that, whatever phase of that purpose we are, our generation happens to be in. It's no good sort of saying, ah, yes, of course, in the Reformation they did this, 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 and this. Thank God for the Reformation. And thank God for every successive move of the Spirit of God from that day to this in which things have been recovered. And I, for one, must stand here very firmly on this matter that we cannot um, dismiss our heritage. We cannot just, as it were, um, neglect it. If we neglect what has been recovered, it will be our undoing. But to live in the past is a tragedy.
What is the purpose of God today? The overcomer, the person who's coming to the throne, must of necessity be in some way intimately involved with the fulfillment of the purpose of God in their day and generation. Not just, as it were, living comfortably on something that has been won and established in times past. But we, by our very nature, if you're an overcomer, you're a pioneer. You're in the vanguard. And it is a great comfort to me to find out that in every single phase of church history, all these movements which are now so respectable and so acceptable were thoroughly disrespectable and quite unacceptable in their own day. It has been fulfilled again and again that word of our Lord Jesus that you kill the prophets and then, having killed them, your children build their tombs and garnish them and pray at them. It seems to me that every man who's ever meant anything has been a kind of... Uh, uh, off-scouring in his own day and generation at the beginning. And when he gets near to death, or very often after his death, he is then accepted as a real prophet of the Lord. That's a very interesting fact, isn't it? And many of us don't want that kind of atmosphere of conflict. We don't want to live in that kind of atmosphere of pioneering, but we have to. If we're really going to be those who overcome, it is all to do with the will of God. For instance, what do you think you're going to do in eternity to come? You think you're going to rest forever? As one of our hymns put it, something about now to work, to war, and then to rest forever. And people get these wonderful ideas of lying around on couches with angels serving them and uh, being called by some divine bell to times of glorious worship and then going back for another rest. Um, no work, no service, no sort of activity. That's not my idea of heaven at all. I, I believe that God has a purpose yet unrevealed concerning the ages to come. And God is looking for those who can be part of his administration in those ages, who will be able to handle the will of God, who will be able to fulfill his plans, who will be able to carry out his plans. That's what he's looking for. And it is very, very important that you and I should really be right there. And so lastly, I just want to underline, it's not a, a, a point I'm going to dwell on for long this morning, because we have on many occasions spoken on this matter. But the third area in which uh, this whole matter of kingship and overcoming uh, is related to is this matter of the house of God and the nations or the house of God and the world or if you like just uh, the church 
and its testimony in the world. You see, God's purpose for the body of Christ is not that they should just reign in the ages to come, but that they should reign now. And our job is to dislodge the powers of darkness from their usurped position in this world. Jesus has said, the prince of this world is cast out. And although we know that the Apostle John said, the world lieth in the evil one, yet it is our job to bring the kingdom of God to bear upon all kinds of situations. For instance, our Lord Jesus said that upon this rock he would build the church and the gates of hell shall not hold out against it, should not prevail against it. Then he said in Matthew 16, verse 19, unto thee have I given the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Keys of the kingdom of heaven. Let's think of it in just another way. Keys of the kingship of heaven. Let's think of it another way. The authority of the throne. If our Lord Jesus had said, to thee I give the authority of my throne. I give you the authority that is in my name. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now, you will notice in your New American Standard Bible that it is put this way, what things soever you shall bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven, and what things soever you shall loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. In other words, it's not that we here sort of say, well now, we think it'd be a good idea if um, we um, did this and this and this. We think this should be released, we think that should be loosed, and we do it in the name of Christ in a kind of magical way, and uh, we say, now then, heaven's got to fall in with us. Now that is a mistaken idea amongst many dear people of God, and that's where we can get uncovered trying to push something through which is our own conception according to our own uh, view of things, do you understand? And thinking, therefore, God has got to fall in with us. And, of course, it doesn't happen, and then we become very disillusioned. We have to know what is the will of God. And when, by the Spirit of the Lord, we get some real um, inner knowledge of the will of God, then we can carry it out. We know in our hearts this thing has got to be bound. We know it is the will of God that this thing be bound. We have to go ahead in our hearts, and when that comes, we can move forward in the name of the Lord. We can use the keys. Things can be bound. The church has suffered through its history because we have not learned to use the keys. We have at times not even known what it is to pray. But even when the people of God have known what it is to pray, they have not known what it is to execute the will of God. In other words, by faith, in the name of the Lord, to take action. There are a whole number of ways in which this matter of overcoming is related to the world around us. It is related in this sense that there is material for the house of God which is as yet held fast by Satan. 
And only when those gates are unlocked can those captives of the devil come out. And until you and I know what it is to reign with Christ, until we know what it is to be not beneath but above, until we know what it is to be not the tail but the head in him, we cannot, cannot know that marvelous multiplication and increase that the early church knew. This whole matter is so important, isn't it? I I haven't had so many years of experience, but the few years I have had have led me to some conclusions. And one of the things I note again and again, for instance, amongst us here, is how almost unwittingly a heaviness begins to to develop. We can blame this on leadership. We can blame it on ministry. We can blame it on one another. We can blame it on particular people. But even when there was an Ananias and a Sapphira and many other things, the church in the early days did not stop growing, did not stop increasing. Mind you, God, of course, dealt with it very strongly. But the fact is, that those things do not stop the Lord going on, providing they are dealt with. What I find is this, that as soon as that heaviness, which is a weapon of the enemy, it is like having a heavyweight wrestler sitting on top of you. It's as simple as that. We wrestle not against flesh, but against principalities. A principality isn't an evil spirit. He's rather weighty. Remember that. And sometimes we have some principality or power. You take this thing over in Twickenham. You don't think that's just some small minions in the hierarchy of evil that are behind this thing? A thing which can so delude and deceive people and combine them for their whole life to it so that they will not be open to anything more? Why, that's no, that's no small minion in the hierarchy of evil. There are really big seducing spirits in that thing. And although we all believe this, you see, we don't always recognize what is the outcome of it. What is the outcome? What is the consequence? Very simple, that there are times in our gatherings, in our prayer times, not only prayer times, but often in our time of worship, such as this morning or this evening or another time, you just find that something is sitting on everything. And you know, it's amazing how we can just sort of grit our teeth and go on, almost sort of, almost ignoring it. You cannot ignore a heavyweight wrestler sitting on you. Otherwise, you will lose. You have got to think as to how you can get out from under him and win. Now we have a tremendous advantage. Our Lord has already won. And the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. 
but are mighty before God to the pulling down of these strongholds. In other words, we can get right up from underneath through spiritual weapons and just by the declaration of eternal truth, of facts, we can see the enemy defeated. But it really does need concerted action. You can't do that alone. That's why, you see, we spoke about the individual, we spoke about the house of God, but now we speak about the house of God and the nations, or the house of God and the world. There, in this kind of matter, we've got to be together. And, dear child of God, the Lord is teaching us vital lessons about kingship, about overcoming, just in these kind of things. Have you noticed how sometimes a heaviness can sit on a gathering until all of a sudden everyone or a number, rise up and recognize it, and everyone else suddenly, the, the penny drops, as we say over this side, and you realize, ah, and then everyone begins to be together, and the whole thing lifts in an instant. Isn't it extraordinary? I've seen it again and again and again. Sometimes just being the elders getting together in prayer. Sometimes it's just being elders and workers getting together. Sometimes just being workers here on one or two occasions. But many, many times it's been in our prayer times when suddenly we've got hold of something and within a matter of hour, sometimes weeks of heaviness are dispersed. Now that is reigning with Christ. That is overcoming. You learn precious lessons there. For instance, one of the lessons you learn is that this world is an essentially spiritual world. That the things which are physical and material are really only, as it were, the concrete manifestation of spiritual realities. What a lot there is in this matter of reigning. Our Lord said concerning the Jewish people, my father's house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of thieves, just a place of social intercourse, just a place of formal and traditional religion, just a place of commerce, giving and receiving. That's what we can do with the house of God. We can prostitute it till it becomes nothing more than a social club, a lecture hall a place where we just have a certain amount of social intercourse. God preserve us from that. For the Lord's purpose in the house of God is that it might be a place in which the kingdom of God is manifested. And through it, an area, a locality, an area, a nation, the nations, can be ruled. It never fails to amaze me that a company of people can get down on some national issue and seek the Lord in prayer and see that thing touched from heaven. One almost has an unbelief afterwards 
that it could not possibly be prayer, that perhaps that was going to happen anyway. But when we've seen some of the remarkable things that we have in our little history, um, uh, one comes to the conclusion uh, that we have in our hands the most tremendous power in this world. We have a power far greater than the Kremlin uh, exercises and far, far greater uh, than Peking uh, exercises and far greater than the White House or Congress has. We've certainly got a power much greater than our own parliament. <laughs> much as we respect it. We have a tremendous power in our hands. And we don't use it. Now, dear child of God, if we do not use the power that has been given to us in the name of Christ, if we do not use the keys, we shall never come to the throne. In the eyes of the Lord, it is the height of irresponsibility to have had something provided through his grace and it not be used. That is the severity of the parable about the talent. Take it away from him and give to him that has. In other words, it seems so unjust. We don't believe that we should, our whole order today, without getting political, is to take from him that has and give it to him who has little. Isn't it right? We must be very careful of politics in this matter. But I'm stating a truth. Our whole philosophy, even the most conservative, is to take from those that have and give to those who've not got so much and so level out. It seems, therefore, terribly undemocratic when we hear the Lord saying, not once but on a number of occasions, take away what he has and give to him that has. It seems the exact opposite. You take from the person who's got very little and you give to the person who has. But what our Lord is saying is this. Let me put it this way. These others have learned to exercise responsibility. They have learned to rule. They have learned to reign. They have learned in the school of experience how to exploit things for the kingdom. They have learnt how to exercise authority. This man had the same po possibilities. I didn't give him five. I didn't give him two. I gave him one. But I gave him the same provision of grace. The same provision of power. And what has he done with it? He has done nothing with it. He has not learnt how to exercise authority. He has not learnt how to reign with Christ. He has not learnt how to rule. He has not learnt how to bring the throne of God in on things. He has not learnt how to exploit things for the kingdom's sake. Why? The sufferings he's had, the problems he's had, the difficulties. All he's ever done is moan. All she's ever done is moan. That's all. They have never learned. Therefore I say, not that this one will lose his or her salvation, but saved so as by fire. But what I gave for the kingdom, for the government, 
for the administration of the divine government in the ages to come, take it away from him and give it to the person who has learned. That may be the explanation of many a tear in the presence of the Lord. Many a regret over wasted opportunities, over unexploited, unappropriated provision. It's not as if God has tipped you out into this world and said, this is an evil place. It's now time for you to be tipped out into it and get on with it. God has given you armor. God has given you grace. God has given you power. God has given you every single thing you need to come to the throne. And therefore, we have this third vitally important thing. If the salt has lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? If the people of God are still the people of God, but have lost the power to reign, the power to rule in the unseen, the power somehow or other to determine the course of things through the will of God. What other answer is there? Some people say to me, normally the most spiritual, I don't see why we should be all bound up with praying for pornography or that kind of thing. There's always been pornography in the world. There's always been our job is to grow in the Lord and get on with the Lord and see the house of God built. But my dear friend, your attitude to evil in the town in which you live betrays your ability to reign with Christ. Your attitude to those very things which are wrecking and destroying other lives very much betrays the kind of spirit you have. on the highest level. This matter of overcoming is therefore related to our, first of all, in the secret place, in union with the head, really ruling and reigning over those things in our locality, in our nation, and amongst the nations. Bringing to bear the kingdom of God I still believe that there are times when the people of God can be so industrious, so zealous in a right way, so devoted that the Lord says, well, although that whole area was going to go over to darkness, we'll hold it back. Just like sometimes in the New Testament when people pleaded with the Lord, do the, and in the end he said, very well, I'll do it. Our Lord hasn't changed. 
There are times when he says, I haven't seen such faith for a long time as these people are exercising. On the highest level then, it is a matter of really being not only built together as the house of God, but when we are built, when there is some measure of relationship to one another, of then taking our position with the head over all these matters. Above all, of course, where, uh, let me say this to put any heart at rest, I am not for one moment suggesting that we should politically try to determine things, or in, any, in one sense even economically. But I do believe we have the, uh, um, uh, a responsibility to see that darkness, the night does not come one single minute before it's time. We know the night will come when no man can work, but why should it come earlier? As far as I am concerned, in this matter, I do not believe in those spiritual gloamings that they have up north. I believe in a tropical night, one minute, or rather day one minute and night the next. Like a curtain, let it drop. And until that moment comes, we'll stop it. And that's our job. If you want to have a long, eerie sort of in-between, all right. But don't moan. You don't have to. You can keep those powers of darkness restrained where they belong until the moment comes when heaven says, now it is their, their hour. So, dear child of God, I believe all that is much to do with reigning. My word, we, we learn lessons, don't we? Of being agreed in the spirit, of being harmonized, of really having to get things right, of getting our corners knocked off, ones we never thought were there, and so much else. It's all there. On, I don't like to call it the lowest level, but certainly it is a, a level that may be more local, but also very vital. No one will ever come to the throne who has not got a compassion for the unsaved. Do you think that God will one day put you in a position in his government when you've never ever shed a tear for another person? You think that you could spend all your days, let alone not going out fishing or house to house or anything else. Some don't even come to pray when there's an evangelistic gathering. Do you think you'll come to the throne? My dear friend, you'll never come to it. Never. Not all of us can go out. Not all of us are meant, but all of us have a place in this business of bringing others to Christ. Some, it is prayer. My word, how thankful we are at times for that little group that pray on a Sunday evening. And for the others 
who I think I have a great admiration for, who managed to both listen and pray at the same time. I always think that that is a remarkable thing. Some of us have got, I remember doctor once saying to me years ago, some are only one-line people and some are six-line people. Like a switchboard, you know. Some of us just can only do one thing at a time. We've just got to shut out anything else and, and pray. But it is amazing. I think it's rather wonderful if one of the six-line people who can listen, watch, and pray at the same time. Thank God for such a gift. But you know, we all have a place to play in this matter of reaching men and women. And what I'm just trying to get at is that hard, cold, pious kind of facade that people think that somehow or other, as long as they know the deeper things, and as long as they've had a real experience of the Lord, and are having experience of the Lord, that's all that matters. Our Lord came to the throne because he was prepared to lay down his lives, his life, for us. No one else will ever come to the throne unless they are prepared also to lay down their life for others. May God speak to us on this matter, and may we see just how amazing it is that the Lord wants us to be with him set on high over the nations. That's what it says in those wonderful words in Deuteronomy 28. The Lord thy God shall set thee on high above all the nations. And then he says, you shall be the head and not the tail. You shall be above only and not beneath. You shall lend but not borrow. Have you thought about that? It just means this, that the church will be able to do things for the nation in which it is, for the area in which it lives, the locality in which it is, that will be a tremendous boon and benefit to all. Not dependent on them, not borrowing from them, but lending to them. May the Lord make us such overcomers. Shall we pray? And now, Lord, we very simply commit this to Thee. O oh, Lord, save it from misinterpretation or misconstruction. But, Lord, we pray that Thou wilt write it on our hearts. We all need, Lord, a heart of flesh, a heart of love, and we have to say, Lord, that this is where we fail again and again and again. Preserve us, Lord, all of us, myself, all of us, from coming to the place, dear Father, where we think we have arrived, when in fact, Lord, we've not even come. Dear Lord, make us, all of us, those who know something of reigning with Christ. And we ask it in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen.